podcast ain't played nobody. Bill, I'm gonna throw you curveball right off the top of the right at the top of the show. Uh, Have you ever named your Wi-Fi network anything to do with a sports team? <laughs> Uh, no, usually, uh, my, my experiences with cable companies and internet providers have been so miserable that I just want to move on as quickly as possible. So, uh, I just go, okay, fine. We're, you know, CenturyLink one eight nine seven four two six six. That's fine. Well, I'll remember that and gotcha. I'll move on with my life. Of course you would remember that. The rest of us would have to write that down. You would remember that. So I am, uh, back from being on the road. I am sitting in an empty, uh, in an empty room right now wearing a towel over my head to muffle the echo. So as we go throughout the show, I want you to picture that. Um, the towel is also the bubble guppies, um, just to really, really paint the picture here. Um, so what I thought, time is it? It's time for lunch. Go it's ahead. time for podcast. Uh, we are in the throes of April. I am in the middle of a move at the moment. Um, we have a, I wouldn't say cobbled together program. We actually have a lot of stuff because... We asked, and you provided horrific, terrible video footage of various <laughs> games on YouTube. Um, we have also solicited for questions, which we're taking live right now. And then I wouldn't say there's a ton of news going on, um, but there are some small items. Did you – well, actually, I know the answer to this because I saw your Instagram. Other than Missouri, how much spring footballage have you taken in? As, as little as possible. Me too. I don't know if that's bad for this show or not, but I feel like my limit for spring football goes lower and lower every year. And this year, I just have a really tough time watching the scrimmages. I think every year I get a little better at filtering out the crap that doesn't need to be, like, paid attention to. Maybe that's just because I keep myself busy enough. Mm -hmm. Um, But from spring ball, I want to know who got hurt in a way that might impact their team in the fall. Um, because, you know, any, anything I'm getting from spring ball, I'm just, I, I need it for the previews. So, yeah, injuries. If there is a position of need and somebody in particular looked good, great. But I pretty I much try to ignore all, you know, redshirt freshman X was amazing. He's going to make a huge difference this year. Those kinds of things. Because it happens to every team in the country every single year, 90% of the, chance, uh, the time. You know, it's like Jamal Turner from Nebraska. Um, I felt bad that he almost became a punchline because they were talking him up so much from the first time, from the first spring game he was on campus. He just tore it up in spring every single year. Um, and it has yet to act and it really never did translate. He got, he started getting uh, injured a lot too. And so that didn't help. But even before that, there just wasn't, you know, it was a spring game Hall of Famer kind of situation, and you get so distracted by those. It's fun when it's your school. Like, I know all the redshirt freshmen I'm hoping will will become contributors for Missouri in the fall, but at a national level, I just don't care. Like, we'll find out. Uh, if, if they're on the if they're starting in the week one uh, too deep in the first weekend of September, we'll talk. But before then, I don't care. Do you know what? I've seen probably five or six coaches watch – opposing team spring games when they're when they're trying to build out game uh just like film to review early on in the season i hope so because i mean otherwise this whole secrecy thing has no (laughs) grounds at all uh it makes everything so much more frustrating just as a missouri fan this was we got you know probably a third as much information and interesting stories from this spring set of spring practices than than we had in previous years and i mean who cares we're not entitled to it i guess but for me, I've been very confused. Unless you really think opponents are getting an advantage from it, 
you're just forfeiting the opportunity to get easy fish in a barrel type of happy spring stories. You're trying to sell season tickets. This is the perfect chance for walk on is looking great. And redshirt freshman is really going to change position, the, his position and da, 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 um, to build easy optimism and enthusiasm when you're trying to sell tickets. It makes a hell of a lot more sense for me to me to just, you know, flood as many media markets as possible like get them in and and watch your practice and look at how good this dude is so that they can talk about it um it, you you better really it better really provide a disadvantage if you're not going to do it because uh, otherwise it just seems easy to uh, an easy chance for pr wouldn't it be weird if they just if it was uh if it was all scripted like pro wrestling style maybe that maybe that's the next evolution Let's take that whole PR thing to the hilt and just say, hey, look, guys, we had a really bad year on defense. Um, so here's what we're going to do. Uh, we're going to run five plays. Uh, it's going to be tackle for a loss on a run. Uh, we're going to do two incompletions under pressure, uh, a sack, and then we're going to have a pick six. And then you just spend a week of spring practice orchestrating that. Maybe that's the next, that the next evolution for spring ball is that you have, you have choreographed WWE plays. I mean, there's no other... I know I did the piece on Rich Rod last month, but I mean, there's no other coach I've talked to who's who thinks of this as anything other than a headache anyway. So might as well screw with it a little bit. <laughs> well, Mizzou certainly did their best to, to uh, script a, the offense hasn't changed one bit uh, arrangement at the beginning of the spring game on Saturday. First play was like a, a flea flicker, but the running back pitched it too high back to Drew Locke. And so he oh. was, uh, he was under pressure the moment he caught the pass and it was a sack. Uh, then they sent a snap bombing over the uh, over Locke's head a couple plays later, and um, it was it was it was almost it was funny. Like the crowd was just like, "Oh, right, this is what we saw last year." <laughs> but uh, the, you know, after they relaxed a little bit, Locke you know reminded everybody that his arm's amazing, and so it ended up being a somewhat happy experience. But yeah, yeah, I mean that'd be that'd be great. Uh, you know, trying to, then trying to figure out what's scripted and and you know who, who went off script and whatnot. That'd be kind of fun. Well, I, I mean, I, I got my radio obligations down to a minimum, but I'm still getting asked, hey, so-and-so's defense, offense, quarterback, whatever, looked good in the spring game. And I'm thinking maybe, but probably I think every single coach is just want to keep just, – just, just do the status quo. I don't think they're, they would have their quarterbacks necessarily look bad or, or like, uh, you know, practice poor mechanics, all joking aside. But <laughs> right. if you were – if you're Missouri and, well, you've, you've had a coaching change, but this isn't the best example, but I would keep everything looking exactly like it did last year and then just bear down on the brunt of the, of the, the criticism you get off the field. I mean, that's the hard part, really, is you don't want to commit anything, but then how much of a pull is it to – put out something that the fans want what's funny is like you go to knoxville and butch jones is the exact opposite of that he <laughs> very well may have scripted plays and I, I mean scripted plays like as in their outcomes because that is so much pomp and circumstance but he's had to do that so often over the, these last couple of years because of the state of the fan base and because of the frustration and i mean this offseason is not really any different i was going to go over to knoxville i did not i was working on something else um, I don't think I really missed anything. Um, they, they certainly, of course, make, of course you didn't miss anything. I mean, they certainly make a big show of it. Um, you know, in terms of media availability, I don't think there was a ton out there anyway, but, um, Tennessee is still the, I get asked this a lot when I do radio because I'm, because I'm in the footprint and no one cares about Vanderbilt, but Tennessee is exactly where it always has been just like LSU is. 
there it's it's the exact same situation you can just copy and paste everything that you thought last year and the year before um, nothing has changed for those two programs what uh, what is your what is your excitement pure excitement level post Mizzou spring game did you walk out of there feeling any sort of curiosity about what's to come or was it just like hey let's let's go eat lunch uh, yeah, well, this year it was dinner. Um, we had to okay. go. We took we took the four year old who, who proved that she's really not ready for a three and a half hour football game where she can't move around. You know what? Um, I, I'm not ready for that either. It's okay. <laughs> uh, well, neither was I. I. Well, in in the sense that I didn't want to necessarily take her for to a three and a half hour uh, game because she 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 did that whole thing where she explored the space. We had a little space around us, and she would back up two rows and then go about twelve feet over to the aisle and da da da. And we had to keep reeling her back over. Uh, but she did okay for the most part. She's just four. Um, no, I mean, I, I left basically a little relieved that, you know, you could, I, I wanted to see kind of the general attack. They said that, you know, they didn't basically go off of, you know, straight from page one of the offensive playbook because they're, again, it was very vanilla um, aside from some random trick plays that were obviously just for fun. Um, but, you know, basically the the one question I had, the major question I had was how bad is Walter Brady hurt? One of the starting defensive ends from last year, um, his knee kind of crumpled in the second quarter and it looked bad, but they think it was just like a hyperextension or something. So that's, that's really, it's like, it's, it's fear more than anything. Basically don't look terrible, but don't get hurt. That That's, you know, the, the worst case scenario there. They lost a running back last year who maybe was it going to be able to contribute in the fall when they desperately needed running backs. He got hurt late in spring last year and, and, you know, that's no fun. So I think they basically, they, they finished as healthy as they were at the start. Uh, you know, a couple of, uh, you know, one guy on the offensive line, uh, he has a back issue that, you know, those fix themselves easily. That's not any long-term problem, I'm sure. Uh, but for the most part, they were about as healthy as they were at the start. And that's all I was hoping for. Does Missouri pair it with a baseball game? This is always my favorite part of the day yeah. is when they try and they, they, they want to bridge you over to the college baseball. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, Missouri, not a strong college baseball culture. Yeah, definitely. I mean, the culture, we've had decent teams here and there. We've got good pitching, but um, culture-wise, yeah, but lowest. I mean, even if we're doing pretty well, i got to figure we're in the very low end of the SEC. But they did um, – I don't know. I think it works out this way quite every year, but usually there's at least going to be a home softball or baseball game. Um, I think this Saturday there was, uh, there was a track meet, a home tennis match, and a home baseball game. And it was against LSU. It was, you know, Mizzou pitches their ace on Saturdays. Um and it was, he, he was going up against LSU. So that was a pretty good little Mizzou day. Now, granted, um, baseball got like they lost like 9 5 uh, because they stink uh, for the most part. But, um, you know, they still, that they, it is kind of structured to be a hey, you're coming in town from St. Louis or Kansas City or whatever. Um, instead of just making this a, you know, a two hour game that isn't really a game and we're seating you on the other side so that the cameras can pick you up so you'll be staring into the sun the whole time, let's at least give you, uh, a, you know, the tent sale and the, and the baseball game and, and a tennis match if you want to try that out, et cetera. So, I mean, not okay, bad. This is, this is going to bridge into my question of the week. No homework, just a question. And I don't want, I want serious answers. Because I think this may be one of those borders of fandom and interest for all of us. Those of us in the media, just hardcore passionate fans. I mean, I talk to, I have, I have friends who, you know, go to Georgia, Alabama, or Nebraska, or whatever, that, you know, they, they have these 60, 80,000 turnout, whatever. And even they are just kind of like, this is, this is sort of stupid. So my question is this. Give me your best memory or story from a spring game 
And then also I want to know how much money it cost you to travel to a spring game. So if you were on campus, it's kind of a, you know, a push because most of these things are free admission. But I want to know if anyone out there listening, and I feel like there's probably one, spent more than, I mean, let's say food, travel, let's say $200, $300 to go to a spring game. And, if, and I want to know why. And I'm not, this is not a, we, we do not point and laugh in this culture because there is no limit to the eccentricity of fandom. But I'm just curious why. And what is it? You know, a lot of football fans just like to check in. They like to go. I know people who just like to be in their stadium. And I think yeah, that's no, no. I mean, that's well. the. I think that's the biggest draw, honestly. Is you know, you can. It's especially when the weather's good, and and it's you know, it's mid-April, so it's very dicey whether the weather's going to be good or not. Um, it might be storming and raining. It might be gorgeous. It was gorgeous this time. It was almost a little too hot uh, this time around. But no, you get to go sit, sit in the stadium and it's in, in hopefully sunny weather and you hear the fight song and you see the, you know, the, the guys in your team's helmets hitting each other. Uh, and again, as long as nobody gets hurt, uh, long term anyway, then it's awesome. And, and it's, it's kind of fun. I, it's easy for me. I live 12 minutes from the football stadium. If I lived in St. Louis, I probably wouldn't be able to talk myself into going every year. But um, no, I mean, you come in, you get your Shakespeare's, you go to the tent sale um, it's not, it's not a, it's not an altogether, uh, terrible experience. Uh, even if the game is kind of like the eighth best part of the experience. All right. What do you want to jump into? Let's, I think I want to do questions first. We solicited, we're getting some pretty good ones and they are all over the map. Um, so this is going to be more of a pop quiz questionnaire than it is because we don't have a particular single topic this week. Um, we do have to get to the bad games, but yes, let's, let's I think we'll wrap first. up. I think I think we'll wrap up with bad games because that's going to take us home again. We're trying to avoid anything that involves the word like spring narrative, so we apologize in advance. Um, let's see what we got here. <laughs> okay, here's a good one, right up our alley. Uh, at Virginia Jim asks, "What should I make of the fact that the UVA coach?" lost to the Virginia Tech coach at the 2014 Miami Beach Bowl and the brawl. <laughs> you know what, Bill? I'm not going to lie. This did not click for me until recently that, that those two had actually coached against each other and that they would now be coaching against each other in a rivalry. I think what uh, uh, James, his name is, is asking is, is the brawl in any way, shape, or form connected to some sort of acrimony between those two coaching staffs and, and, and is this a personal thing that's going to spill over? I, I'll take this one and say it is not. Um, that BYU has a healthy and well-known reputation in college football for playing very dirty, especially on the lines. Um, I think Memphis was a type of team that was built to feast upon people's perception that they didn't belong. You know, they played underdog as strong as you could play it. I think when those two things combined, um, you saw what happened, basically. And I don't think it is anything personal between Bronco Mendenhall and Justin Fuente. Um, however, it is kind of a, you know, I, I can't say it won't be a fun matchup in the years to come just to see those two guys. They, they're not outwardly vocal. This isn't like a Brett Bielema thing at all, but um, they are going to have to find some sort of acrimony if they're both going to be successful. Well, and they don't, they clearly, the one thing we did learn about that Miami Beach Pro was that they don't necessarily they're not looking to tamp down on their team's uh, enthusiasm or hostility if it occurs, um, which, you know, for a rivalry might not be the worst thing in the world. So, 
Uh, it can only mean it might not mean a single thing, but if it means anything, it will be good for the rivalry. You know what? I may actually shape this into a little off-season content. I think. Uh, I mean, I'm not going to write the oral history of the Miami Beach brawl. But I do think it's funny that these two coaches are going to see each other again. And yeah. I don't think – I mean, I, I know for a fact. I've interviewed Bronco before. I sat down and did a, a – I had talked to Justin for probably about an hour and a half last season. And I was lucky. I was one of the last guys in the door before they shut off media. Neither one of those coaches strikes me as an instigator in any way, shape, or form. And I'm not talking about the Cheshire Cat thing where they're you know, – they're, they're, semantic and and sentimental or something in the media and then they you know behind closed doors are inciting their guys to take cheap shots i think that i may take a little heat for this you know we should ask matt brown who has a a history and a um, grew up at the lds church uh, about byu's culture as, as playing dirty but it's it's something that's just been known for years i don't know if it has anything to do with the fact that sometimes they have older offensive linemen but um they, they, they tend to chip a little. They tend to cut a little. They tend to play after the whistle a little. Um, and, you know, I feel comfortable saying that because I've heard it from so many people in college football for so long. So I, I don't even think it was a Bronco thing. I just think it's something about that program, I guess. You know, and, and I mean, they're, they're different. And that might cause a little bit of just a general, you know, chip on the shoulder kind of thing, too. Um, which probably doesn't hurt. I mean, you, you never really have to worry about BYU's intensity, at least. Um, let's see here. Uh, Robert Baker, which TV show should I binge watch this season during Purdue games? I was going to go ahead and just break the seal with Purdue here. Um, mm. See, I was going to try I, and avoid it. Um, <laughs> well, you know, it's, it's funny that Robert says this trying to be funny, but isn't, is there a way to, f- I'm, let me see if I can pull a kickoff time history, because I want to say Purdue has to hold the record of the most, noon kickoffs in the last decade of the Big Ten. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, there's no way anyone could beat Purdue. I don't yeah, even just, know if that. I mean, sure, there's a way to sort of painstakingly go back and check every kickoff time for big. And we'll just say conference games. Um, without without spending two hours of my life to research that, I'm just going to say that they are always in the twelve o'clock slot. And if I can turn this into a legitimate question, I would say this. Bill, do you think that the 12 o'clock slot is dying in college football? Because I do. I mean, what's ESPN going to show instead? It's not that. I think that there's a – when the SEC network was structured out and they took away the third-party rights holders, which were those – if you live in this part of the country, you remember Raycom or Jefferson Pilot Games – it's that combined with the expansion of the Fox Sports properties – all of the major games start in primetime now. There used to be a little bit more layering of the schedule as you went along. Oh, I see day. what you're saying. Okay. Yeah. I mean, oh, I'm not saying like they're going to suddenly put another sport on there. It's just that the, the 11 a.m. Central, 12 p.m. Eastern slot has become more and more of a gully every year. Yeah, like um, a, let's get these games over with kind of thing. Very much so. I mean, our, our friends over at the Solid Verbal often talk about sort of how to, how to plan your weekend if you have real life things to do, you know, run to the hardware store, grocery store, whatever. You, you probably want to do that as soon as Corso puts his headgear on. And I don't remember it ever being quite as bad as it is now. Um, and it's almost gotten a little too imbalanced. I love having at least one really good game to watch every Saturday night. Um, but I don't want the five, like three of the five be- biggest games – being on at the same time like we we do have um the the 11 o'clock the two well i'm speaking in central 
time terms here, but the 11 o'clock to 2.30, um, you know, the the early 6, the the, the 7 prime time, the 9.30 late game, like we've got a lot of options for viewing. And, and I think it does, especially in certain weekends, you, you end up with like four huge games kicking off at either 7 or 8 o'clock. And that stinks. I mean, that's that's hard to manage, especially when you had a wide open like a big game at, at, at 11 o'clock that day could have gotten everybody's eyeballs. Right. Uh, but, but they were all crammed into to, uh, primetime instead. That kind of stinks just as a personal experience. I don't like to have to DVR four games, especially now that I, my DVR crapped out and the new box doesn't seem to be any better. So I'm paranoid about recording in general now. Well, I think that, um, let me do like a super quick explanation. If you, if you, if you, it's not really a disagreement with us, but I mean, it's kind of a fact. Basically, so all these television deals get bigger and bigger. It costs the networks more to have the rights. They want to recoup as much as they can, obviously, out of ad revenue. You're going to get more ad revenue for anything if you put it in prime time and more people are, are in front of their televisions. So you'll have ABC, ESPN, ESPN2, ESPNU, SEC Network, Big Ten Network, Fox, FS1, and NBC. And NBC Sports, although they usually have a very small like FCS yeah. game. I think I hit everyone. Um, there's probably a couple regionals and things like that. Yeah, All of those games want to have the most effective draw in terms of ranked team matchups or big names in prime time. So it didn't used to be like that. In fact, the, the 11 a.m. Central, 12 Eastern slot is, I mean, historically that's Red River in Dallas, which is still that way because of the state fair. Right. And it's Oklahoma, or Oklahoma, it's Ohio State, Michigan. Like those are the, probably the two most famous noon kickoffs there are. Um, but everything else has been sacrificed to to the evening, which is is, is okay because I, I went to an SEC school and I've been in you know Auburn and LSU and Florida at night and it's awesome and that's great. But it's just the frustration of going all day, and it's, it's exactly what you said. Especially if you attend the game, you know, as a yeah. guy who's in the media or you know, or, or just those of you listening who tailgate, like. When you're inside the stadium, I don't care how improved the Wi-Fi is, you, you, you tend to just sort of fall into the tunnel of what you're, what you're there to see. And then yeah. it, it almost feels like you miss everything if you are watching one game in person from about 6 p.m. Central on. And yeah. there's no really coming back from this. It's not going to change. The CBS 230 – I'm sorry. By the way, I'm sorry if I always speak in Central Time Zone terms. It's just I've lived here. I've lived in the Central Time Zone now for like – on and off for like 14 years. So it's just how I think. 30, like 37 for me, yeah. Yeah. Um, that The CBS slot is always going to be anchored. They do have they have two primetime options a year. So you, you'll have a decent game on, but in the past couple of years, some of the CBS games haven't been as powerful. Or, or it's like if they, get, if they get LSU and Alabama and it's number one versus number five, that's when they flex that option to primetime. So the same thing happens. Um, I think probably the most famous... 3.30, 2.30 game in C- for CBS every year is, is the cocktail party. Whether it sucks or not, it's almost always at that time. So um, I, I, this isn't going to get any better. It's very frustrating. It's one of the real reasons I feel like I want to stay home more as a college football writer because I just feel so uninformed when I'm at a stadium. Um, and I can't – I really couldn't even – I could fill a whole show up naming the games I missed this past year that I've asked Bill about on Sunday morning or you know when I'm stuck in an airport or Monday, Tuesday – and I think we've said it up before. I know you, Bill, you and I talk about it. You, you DVR the five or six games you've missed and you swear that you're going to get to them. And then, you know, by midweek, you're focused on the next thing that happens. So it's not a good service for fans. If you're not a big NFL fan, you can maybe catch a replay on Sunday, but it's not the same thing. I, I actually think it encourages people to stay home. 
And it is it, a lot of my view of this depends on if Missouri's good or not, too, because um, like if Missouri, you know, because I still have season tickets here, I still live in Columbia. Um, if Missouri is, if it's like 2013 um, and Missouri's hosting Texas A&M to clinch the SEC East, uh, I want that damn game at night because those are the best atmospheres and it was so much fun. And I missed I missed watching the uh, the kick six live because of it. But I didn't care because it was awesome. It was just a, it was a wonderful experience. If 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 my team is 2015 Missouri, um, and I don't really want to watch the games at all, but I spent you know hundreds of dollars on tickets, so I have to. Um, and I've got friends coming in from two hours away. I have no excuse to skip ever. Um, then I want those games on at 11 o'clock, so I have the rest of my day to uh, watch football, uh, the the good football. So yeah, that, maybe that's. You know, as long as you have both uh, some good in there, then I don't mind necessarily occupying those noon kickoffs one year. But um, no, I mean, what you said about game experience, I think, is pretty important because people are freaking out about it now. Those we got to get those kids in the stadium. We got to give them Wi-Fi. Can we can we give personal televisions to everybody so that they'll come? Like we we seem to be making games more like staying home, um, and that that just confuses the hell out of me. You have to give you know if, if it's spend hundreds of dollars to act like you're staying home and, and maybe deal with bad weather here and there, or if it's just to stay home without spending hundreds of dollars on tickets, like how is that even an option? Right. Um, like you need an actual game atmosphere. You need game things that you don't get elsewhere. I, I mean, better Wi-Fi would be phenomenal. Cause I, I'm tired of, you know, if, if my, you know, if I have to text my wife about something, I, you know, the, the, the one in three chance that it actually goes through in the second quarter of a game is pretty annoying. Um, but or well, so Wi-Fi or just better signal in general, but that's peripheral. Um, making the game more like staying home doesn't seem like a very good way to keep people from staying home. I totally agree on everything. Also, I will say this: as uh, you, you, you talked about wanting that night game atmosphere, I've been to. I just did this in my head. I've been to every SEC stadium it, uh, multiple times, and every single one even Vanderbilt, even Kentucky is dramatically better at night. I don't think that comes as a shock to anybody. So I don't want to discount the appeal of a night game. It's awesome. It's super awesome. If, if there's, if it's a big game where the team's good, if the team's yeah. bad, if it's like, you know, I'm using a bunch of Mizzou examples for obvious reasons, Mizzou, Tennessee at the end of last year when it was freezing cold and Missouri was five and six, even though it was Pinkle's last game, um, you, there, there were a hundred reasons. There are a whole lot more reasons to talk yourself out of going uh, if it, if it includes like man, I'm gonna get home at like 2 a.m. and the game might suck. Um, you know that's that you can talk yourself out of it at that. But yeah, no, if it's a big game, if it's an important game, there's nothing better than night football. Also, I I went to an LSU Alabama game in 2010 in Baton Rouge that kicked off at 2:30 and it was weird. <laughs> it it felt wrong. And yeah, that's, that's well, LSU is kind of an exception yes. to everything I say. Any LSU home game that doesn't start at like seven o'clock is feels kind of awkward. Yeah. And, and, you know, a lot of that's like the whole mystique and all that stuff, but some of that is just that it's hot as hell too. So, (laughs) all right. Um, Let's see where I want to go next. This one actually may tie into a little book promo here for you, Bill. Um, At Braves and Birds asks, what is the most overrated team of the last three decades? (laughs) A team that the public viewed as great, but wasn't. That's a pretty big question, Bill. Is there a single program? I, I think there are particular runs. Well, yeah. That... I mean, are we are we talking about programs or individual teams from a given year? Because I mean, obviously, there are, there's always that. I mean, I think um, there are. I tell you what, I'll start you off, and and I'll try and shape this for you. 
uh, one of my best friends went to Louisville and is not really a, a died in the wool Cardinals fan, but definitely gained a lot of like, like a lot of Louisville fans became very interested in the program um, as they came up the first time under Bobby Petrino. And we talk now about Louisville's place in the ACC and there's still this like, Hey, you, you wait and see, you wait and see type thing about Petrino and Louisville in the ACC. But I sort of very politely point out sometimes less politely um, because he's one of my best friends. Um, This is not the same Louisville program that, sat on top of the big East. So I think there are, you know, Bobby Petrino at Louisville in the big East in the two thousands, that one jumps out at me as something that maybe hindsight has showed us wasn't as spectacular as it seemed. Now in perspective, it is for, for that big East it was, but people who want to translate that Louisville to this Louisville, I feel like that's not, that's not fair. It's not accurate at all. Um, so that's probably the best example I could think of off the top of my head. Uh, I'm holding a pen in my hand. I will say not so fast, my friend. Um, what, the, what about, but well, first about Louisville, um, I'm going to pull this up real quick. So I get the years, Are right. You there was like Bobby two Petrino? Years. Huh? Oh, this happens yeah. at least once a month on this show. So, um, using my S and P plus numbers, they actually, this isn't quite as good as I thought, but, uh, in 04, they were seventh in the country. Uh, in 06, they were sixth in the country. I thought 06, they were actually third or something. Maybe that was F-plus with Fremo's numbers. But um, So they've been – they th- for two of those years uh, during that Petrino era, they were legitimately awesome. Um, and they haven't e- since matched that. Even in, in what, 20 – was it 20 – yeah, it was 2012 when they beat – all right, which, yeah, wait, back up, which, which of the two years are you saying they were legitimately awesome? So I can 04, 04 and 06. Okay. 04 was the year they amazing. they beat Boise State in the most amazing bowl game I've ever seen in person. That was pretty um, good. And 06 was the year where they, what, only lost to Rutgers, I believe? Right, 2004, 2006. Yeah, 2004 they went 11 and 1. 06 they went 12 and 1. Um, and uh, well, and almost unfortunately, they got, they faced Wake Forest in the in the Orange Bowl, so they didn't get like a big elite win chance. But the, yeah, that, that was right. That was the the Thursday night game where they had just beaten West Virginia. They moved to third in the country, and then they um, yeah lost on last second field goal in the the most amazing moment that's ever happened in Rutgers football stadium. I will say, look, the 2016 stands out to me as particularly talented, particularly deep, and and also I think it was every situation coming to fruition in the best possible way at the best possible time. Now, rarely do I want to take you on head to head in this kind of stuff, but I'm looking at 2004 and maybe I adopt a Bruce Feldman, Bruce Feldman body blow theory, or maybe I just sort of, and I don't want to do this because I'm such an ardent defender of Boise. I just don't know if it like, when you say legitimately awesome in 2004, is is this team legitimately awesome against a higher caliber opponent? They lost by three at a really good Miami team. But right, but this goes back to that same thing of like, well, that that's that's a week. They did. I do actually remember that game. It was pretty damn good. It was great. I think it was a was that a Thursday night game? So okay, so I think that can... was a Thursday night game, Bill. That was that may have been one of the. I think that was one of those the games where he really. He being Petrino came on in sort of the national landscape. I want to say, yeah, and and he was already flirting. Like it was hilarious. We went to that, like I said, in in '04. We went to that Liberty Bowl in in Memphis, uh, and Louisville fans were already sick of Petrino's crap. Um, 
with his flirtation and whatnot with every other job in the world. Uh, they were already sick of it, and, they, and then they were good for two more years before he finally left. Um, no, so about the body blow theory, that applies to potentially Stanford and Alabama uh, and a couple of other schools, but that's it. It doesn't apply to simply being in a big conference because every big conference has crap teams. So, um, like when I was when Missouri moved to the God, I'm all about the Missouri references today i try to hold off on that but when they moved to the big 12 from the big 12 to the sec i kind of looked started kind of studying up a little bit like what's the difference in schedule now and it, it was basically like one extra losable game per year going from the big 12 to the sec so going from the big east which was a power conference at the time okay um well wait were they when did they move Louisville? they were still conference usa in 04 they were conference they usa were, and and they were technically aac for a year or two so okay, they so their conference the last, USA. They took one of the last bids out in realignment. Right. So they were so through 04, they were conference USA, and then 05, they went to the Big East, uh, and then 06, it was like the best Big East ever, um, out of like against all odds. Uh, but I mean, so basically, you, you're looking at an awesome 11 and one team. Like, what could they have done in the with the quote unquote body blow kind of thing? That basically means they maybe go nine and three. But if you're going nine and three against an awesome schedule, you're probably still a top 10 team. I mean, the numbers are designed to apply to adjust for the schedule you had. Um, And so, you know, the fact that they barely lost at Miami, but then they, you know, within the, uh, uh, you know, potentially weak conference USA, they, let's see, starting at the beginning, they beat Kentucky, one of those, you know, lesser teams that are in every power conference. They beat them by 28. They beat army by 31 North Carolina, by 34 on the road, East Carolina by 52, South Florida by 32, TCU by 27, Houston by 38, Cincinnati by 63, and Tulane by 48. I mean, that's that's what a legitimately awesome team does. All right, well, Let's let me back up way. a second. Let me say this. I don't want to take away, especially, like I said, from the 06 team, because I do think this, like, sort of God smiles on Louisville that year. Also, I do think they recruit pretty well, um, and they do stuff like coach a really good offensive system. But I don't think that you can look at Louisville's success in the Big East then and, 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 and have that translate and, and be applicable to Louisville in the ACC now. I think it's, it's I, just a dramatically different situation. Counterpoint, TCU. I just think like, very – I mean, if it, do we want to get really raw here? I think that Patterson's a much more – Well, no, but I'm not talking about I'm dynamic. Talking about the, no, no, seriously. I think Patterson's a more – inventive dynamic coach he was also willing to bring on new offensive philosophies and i've yet to see i mean there there is a prevailing sentiment and this isn't me trying to like shit on louisville but you know when the strong guys cycle out on defense he's never recruited that he's never recruited to to par to average on defense let me clarify what how is that going to apply against the top four five programs in that conference now let me d- clarify what I'm, I'm defending uh, rankings more than Louisville at the moment. Okay. But what I'm saying is like, if you were capable of, if you produced a number seven, for instance, ranking in, in a relatively weak conference USA, I don't think it was uh, incredibly weak at that point, but it was not, you know, power. Right. Um, oh, no, no, no. Means... I'm with you on that because I'm too much of a Boise supporter to try. I, I, I couldn't argue against that and support Boise at the same time. So, but so yeah, but I mean, my, my point is, you know, TCU was top ten in my numbers in an 08, 09, and ten. Uh, they obviously crumbled briefly when they had the quarterback issues and and all the, the extracurricular things that resulted in a suddenly thin squad. 
Um, but that doesn't, I, I didn't really, I don't think that applied at all to a move to the big 12. It was just awful timing. Uh, and then once they got their footing again, they were awesome in 2014 and, and, and at least good and, or good to very good in 2015. So that, I mean, that just, that's proof that if, you know, just because you are in a, a bad conference or lesser conference, if you're producing a top 10 caliber rating and, and the system you're using has good opponent adjustments, then I, I'm comfortable in saying Louisville was legitimately top 10 twice, but if we, I mean, I, you know, you're also right that Gary Patterson's a better coach than Bobby Petrino or a more trustworthy coach. And I would much rather have him leading the way from conference to conference than Petrino, but Petrino's well, still pretty and, good. And trustworthy. Yeah. Like, and I joke about it all the time and Oh, okay. I'm a Falcons fan. So the guy's an asshole. I get it, like, but, but it, I do think that Patterson was, well, first off TCU was TCU was angling a particular fate for a very long time. They were recruiting in the footprint of the future conference that they would be in. I don't know if it's an apples to apples comparison. They, and I've, I've been told this by their athletic director and various boosters and even their, some of their players, they, they were building towards the big 12. Like that was the goal they had set in place for years. And they knew that they wanted to recruit accordingly. Um, I just don't know if, if Petrino has, Petrino's very, I mean, stuck in his ways. He's, 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 you know, a devotee to a system he created. Um, I just don't know if I've seen, and this isn't just me. This is other coaches saying, I, I don't know how that works year, year by year because the expectation level, which I haven't talked about, the expectation level of Petrino at Louisville is that he is going to compete every year with Florida State and Clemson. And he is going to be better year by year than Georgia Tech or Virginia Tech. And to me, I just, I don't see that there, I, there, there's something missing there in terms of, in terms of the results that he's created both of that program, because it was a different situation than also at Arkansas. Um, and I was actually pulling up Arkansas because I figured that's suddenly, somehow we are on a Petrino thing right now, which is, you know, gross, but um, at Arkansas, I mean, not only did they win a boatload of games, they were ninth in the country in 2010. Um, Again, that's you know that that means in a seven year span at two different schools he had three top ten finishes, uh, ranking it, you know computer rankings wise. Um, that's pretty good. No, it, I, I mean, been, I'm not saying he's going to be. I think I'm, I'm not saying he's going to be a bust by any stretch. I don't know if he wins the ACC in the next five years, which is well, what right. the expectation I mean, level is there. They basically and, have to, you know, they're in that tier where they have to hope that when the, the big power, in this case, I guess, Florida State or now Clemson, um, right. you know, that when the big power has a random step backwards year, like when Deshaun Watson leaves or or whatever, whatever however that happens. And, and they almost always, unless you're Alabama, they almost always do happen to win. The, if, if the expectation is to win the uh, ACC, they just have to hope that they have a top 15 caliber squad when those teams briefly take a step backwards. I know this well because Missouri reference, I'm a Missouri fan uh, and I know the phenomenon well when it came to 07, for instance, when OU and Texas both took a step backwards. I will say this because, because if you're listening to this and you are a Louisville fan, it, 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 I know it, it feels and sounds agenda. It's not. I think Louisville's addition is was a masterstroke by the ACC because it create it, it helps their basketball, which they didn't really need help with, but it takes a football program that can serve as the anchor of the upper middle class. So whatever Miami is going to be in the ACC and then Florida State and Clemson, there is a, to me, Louisville is the clear cut number one of that next tier with the ability to, to compete in the, in the top tier, maybe periodically or on a cycle. 
Um, so I think it's they were a great addition to the conference. I just don't think what I've heard from most Louisville fans is that, well, you know, he won big at Louisville, so he'll do it again. To me, that the, the landscape has changed too much. And that's, I mean, yeah, you know, I guess that we are talking about, you know, this is the difference between, you know, whatever we're viewing as the expectations. Because I, I expect Louisville to occasionally be able to, uh, the, you know, Florida State is the, they should compete every year team for the ti- for the ACC title. Yeah, I would Clemson, say number one, clear, yeah, clear cut number yeah. one. Clemson has quickly joined them in that regard. Yes. Um, and, and I mean, obviously we'll see, you know, they're, they, they prove, they've proven over a couple of recruiting cycles that they're all, they're going to be legit top 15, not always national title caliber, but neither is Florida state. Um, but Louisville could, unless, you know, unless or until Miami gets its act together, Louisville could be the third team in that conference. Uh, if, if, if Rick, as you know, as we mentioned last week, when Rick wins his five national titles, um, his five national karma titles, uh, for the Georgia situation, then, you know, maybe that, that obviously bumps Louisville back, but over the last three years, they've been just good enough to be kind of that third team in the conference where if those top two teams stumble, they're in, uh, funny enough, the problem for Petrino since he came back has been offense. Um, we'll see if, if, you know, what we saw at the end of last year with the, uh, freshman quarterback, uh, Oh, Lamar Jackson, Lamar Jackson. Uh, if what we saw at the end of last year is a sign of what's to come, then maybe their offense is awesome this year and they have a top 15, 20 team again. Um, but that was a weird, that was a weird sidetrack. That's um, uh, here. We'll wrap up Louisville with this. Um, um, if you're curious, non-conference this year, Charlotte at home, and then they go to Marshall and to Houston. A little salty, a little salty. Give, uh, give Tom Mears some credit there. That's uh that's, that's, that's not a, uh, an ideal schedule, but it is one that would, will build a lot of equity if they can if they can sweep it. Um, they get Florida State at home, and they go to Clemson. The rest is pretty forgettable. So uh, let's go ahead and transition out because we've been teasing it. We have to get to it this week. We asked you last week to find the only rules I think helped me build was it had to be a full length game, right? And you couldn't have been the person who put it on. So you had to discover a terrible full-length game that existed on YouTube or any other video streaming site. What we forgot about was that there are sort of easy go-tos here. So we have to throw a couple out. Bill, we talked before the show. Do you want to give that list of, of ones that are... And, when the, and look, we're not throwing these out because they're not terrible. We're throwing these out because it's almost too easy. It's too it's too obvious of a choice. Yeah. So obviously, uh, Wake Forest, Virginia Tech, nothing, nothing uh, was going to be on the list. The, the Frank Beamer celebrating game, um, that that felt way too obvious. The three to two Oregon State Pitt Sun Bowl, or not three to two, uh, three to nothing. Uh, that one had to go. Oh eight Mississippi State Auburn has been immortalized plenty of times. So that that's one, the one I got the most. Yeah. That that one and. Um, and and uh, Virginia Tech Wake Forest are the ones I got the most. So uh, there is that those were pretty clear and and terrible. And of course they're freaking online. Um, some of the ones that we got that I thought that I either had forgotten about or I wasn't sure if it was online. 2014 uh, Northwestern Michigan, very good one. Uh, very and by very good I mean not good at all. Yes, up is um, down. So we've got that. We've got. Somebody submitted 2014 Clemson Syracuse, but that was mostly a self hatred thing. I I don't really recall that one being awful for anybody else 
or too awful anyway. I've got um, one from uh, from Brian Anderson. I actually emailed us very uh, what last week. Um, he had a list and had some of the usual suspects. <laughs> this uh, I don't know Brian or I don't know if it says in here if you are a I guess he's a Washington fan or yeah. So some of these Wazoo games, it's kind of funny when you ask someone what they to find something terrible. It's it's funny how you fixate on, on individual performances. So he has on here like 2010 Nebraska at Washington. Nebraska won the game 56 to 21. I don't think any of us would immediately stumble upon that in the internet and think, God, that's terrible. Then he writes on here, Jake Locker complete, completed four out of 20 pass attempts for 71 yards, one touchdown and two INTs for a QBR of 16.7. This game is probably redeemed by Nebraska doing awesome, fun things, but God, Washington was several levels of awful. I just find it interesting that we were looking for sort of, I think, bizarre anti-box score porn, and people tend to, if they can, they tend to fixate on terrible individual performances or, or unit performances of their favorite teams. That's what we got a lot of. One of my favorites that, that completely took me uh, off guard was the 1991 Sun Bowl between number 22 UCLA and Illinois. Um, final score is 6-3 UCLA. The Sun Bowl just brings out the best of teams, apparently. So that was a good one. I, I would have never thought that, hey, let, what games from 1991 were terrible? Um, I'm scrolling through here. Unfortunately, the 99 Baylor-UNLV game is not online. You can barely even find the – that's, of course, the famous Baylor trying to make a statement and put the ball in the end zone that's one more right. time and fumbling at the one, and UNLV returns at 99 yards for the game-winning touchdown. I had a bar um, owner in Waco basically recreate that moment no, that's right, over that's beers right. last summer with me. He, he, I mean, pretty much did, like, stage the whole thing. It, it, uh, it lives on in Waco. Um, another good one that I, that I ha- did not have in my head anymore, 1995, Michigan 5, Purdue 0. That was uh, – most of these are clearly low scoring. I know, you know, we can get into a stylistic, you know, aesthetics thing where, you know, sometimes defense is awesome, and that's fine, yes, but 5 um, nothing. <laughs> that, that's the counterpoint, 5 nothing. Um, 2015 – ULM Texas State is somehow online. They were th- com- a combined three and sixteen at the time. Got one from nineteen eighty three, a different kind of bad. Nebraska eighty four, Minnesota thirteen. I uh, enjoyed that one. Um, that's and, and that's another topic because I, I've got a lot of blowouts on this list. Is it? I think maybe in a way it's actually worse because at least when you get into these anti scoring affairs, there's still the compelling narrative of like you know, the game being in reach, right? right? So as bad as something is, you can still, you know, you're a butt fumble touchdown away from swinging the outcome of the game. Right, you can't, you can't just turn it off because it's not decided yet, yeah. Exactly. It is, it, it's just the most boring, you know, standoff possible. But it is still a standoff. So maybe, maybe we went about this the wrong way and we hyped up the low-scoring crap games with the bad offenses. But, I mean, there's true – and. And because it's college football, you always want to kind of throw out the the homecoming game type blowout. But, I mean, we had a lot of submissions for Oklahoma, Texas A&M. I think maybe that's probably a better argument than, say, the 3-2 to two Mississippi State-Auburn game. And by the way, yeah, I meant the 77 to nothing game, if you didn't. Right, yeah. Different kinds of bad. One of them is the you know the the low scoring, terrible close games hold you hostage to where you can't turn them, or necessarily turn them off. Meanwhile... Um, a game like OU A and M, and that was at O three, I think, uh, is is like like you you know you almost actually feel pain for one of the teams. Um, 
and nobody felt pain for Dennis Francione, but regardless, you could. Uh, so that that was certainly, um, a, you know, you know, it's it's a lot more fun if the question is broad, so people can interpret it a little differently. I guess. I think those are basically those are the interesting ones. Like I, those are the most rare ones and the most obvious ones. The list. I would say, yeah, the the two most frequent ones we got were the the two that we threw out, which is B O Eight Sun Bowl and Mississippi State Open. Those those show up the most. I do think it's funny though that they show up on this list because someone did put them online, and and, and I think going through these emails, they show up in a couple different places online, yeah. which just goes yeah. to show you the the the, the nihilism of college football fans that immediately want to preserve something like that. There's a large number of people who thought putting those games online was a good idea. So God bless all of them. So, um, we, so we're at 50 minutes here, almost 50 minutes and we could do the box score bingo thing that we did teased a couple weeks ago. We got a really good email submission about that. I kind of want to hold off on that because we've actually gotten a lot of really good questions today. Yeah. Um, you want to do some rapid fire here as we, yeah. Um, well, as, as rapid as we get, uh yeah which one uh, you pick the first one okay we'll go back and forth um first of all i just appreciated this uh, you know our, our friend steven um after making a purdue reference that i almost blocked him for said uh, <laughs> I, I want y'all to talk about uh mtsu's quarterback who's awesome and the coach's son this was actually this allows me to um pimp my wonderful middle tennessee preview from like two months ago yeah, yeah. um no this was a think about like being a fan of this school so uh, last year, Middle Tennessee returned Austin Grammer, who was a perfectly decent college uh, football quarterback. Um, I mean, the, they had a perfectly decent offense the year before, um, and he got replaced by the coach's son, uh, a freshman, Brent Stockstill. Um, that is just begging for – I mean, number one, it's awkward. Number two, it is begging for the coach himself to get in a lot of trouble uh, for playing favorites. Stockstill went out and threw, completed 67% of his passes for 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns as, a, as a, like, I think a redshirt freshman. That's awesome. That, that's um, So Grammar's gone now, and it's all Brent Stockstill for the next three years, and it probably will be a full, a full four-year tenure because he's only six foot, like 200 pounds maybe. Um but that, like, that was a really cool situation. Like, he, he he opens himself up to massive trouble if his son bombs, and his son did the very, very opposite of bombing. I think I'm going to swing on down to Murfreesboro this year, um, and it may be a story I only write for our hardcore psycho listeners. But uh, between that and Tony Franklin, uh, it's it's a pretty unique situation going on yeah. down there. There's just not. I don't think you could take the stock still dynamic of father son and apply it to any. Uh, there's no way of saying this without being mean. Any program with interest around it, I just don't think you could do it. And it, it may work out beautifully for MTSU, and I don't fault the, I don't fault any of the parties involved for doing it. But I don't know if you could survive 24 hour year long speculation in a at a legit Power Five program with the father son thing. Well, so here's a here's a, an example. So Jimbo Fisher will say he has a 20 year old redshirt freshman son. Uh, and he names him starter over Sean McGuire this year. That's the, that's probably the best because McGuire is good, but technically replaceable. Like he, you, you could clearly improve on him. Uh, it's not like you know benching Jameis Winston for him, but he's still solid and experienced, and he's going to be a senior this year. Yeah, so Jimbo Fisher uh, replaces Sean McGuire with his hypothetical redshirt freshman son. Uh, that would be amazing. And again, I mean, I think you know it would be in the short term, it would be a nightmare just because of all the hand-wringing and, and complaining, but then if he's awesome, if he throws 4,000 yards and 30 touchdowns, then it's all good. 
Um, but the anxiety involved in approaching the season before we find out if he's actually good or not, I don't know right. if that'd be worth it. That'd be terrible. I just don't think that you could it, – it, it, it can happen, no doubt, but I just think that – okay, if MTSU goes out – and I don't have their schedule, but if MTSU goes out and loses their first two games – You mean last year? No, I'm talking about this year. If they go out with his son at starter, you can survive a bad spell because there just isn't attention. Okay. Well, I think. I mean, I think at this point, kids proved himself. Like it was last season where all the anxiety was. I mean, if he if he is right, absolute, but what I'm saying is in the exact same situation, and and you're at Clemson, and you go out this year after proving yourselves, but you you lose the opener at Auburn. The first thing Monday morning radio is going to talk about is, oh well, he's got a son playing quarterback. Well, and I don't. I mean, at that point, though, that's. I mean, that would happen anyway. For anybody less good than Deshaun Watson, that's that's just what happens at this point. Um, I mean, I would say you know, anytime your starter stinks for a couple of games, then you know, call for the backup. That I mean, I, I watched that happen. The right, last and in Murphy, in Murfreesboro, you just don't have that level of of acidity outside the program. <laughs> that's, that's a good. I like that word for that for that use. Um, Zachary Z. Clark asks, I guess kind of flippantly, but we'll, we'll tackle it. Will Kentucky football ever be good? Well, they have been good before. Um, yep. I would argue that a couple of seasons they've been great. But uh, no, there's nothing preventing them. And uh, let me see if I can stamp out something stupid real fast. No, because you're successful in basketball does not mean that you haven't prioritized football. Um, that's another stupid thing that I've been told before. Um, there's a booster contingent in Kentucky, more on the eastern side of the state, that is very invested in the future of football, and they, uh, I think, are watching the stoop situation very carefully. Um, yeah, it's, I'm it's, surprised they're not better right now. It's a job that is not as appealing as most of the others in the league, but uh, I'll go ahead and make a basketball reference here. Much like every other SEC basketball job in Kentucky, it's still an SEC job, which means you get a ton of national exposure. You get you have huge equity in recruiting. It's still a good job. It's just not as good a job as like eleven other schools in your conference. You can win there. You may not be able to win big there. And if Bill doesn't understand why they're not as good, I certainly can't understand why. I thought Stoops would do a much better job. Right. I mean, it's a, it's a job where, you know, whereas at Alabama, you just have to make a good hire to be great. You have to make a great hire to be like consistently good at Kentucky. And then you have to worry about like getting him plucked away by a bigger SEC school or whatever. So, I mean, it's never going to be a, a wonderful situation, but that doesn't mean you can't be good. There are plenty of schools in that, in that neighborhood of, you know, status, I guess that can be good. Last season was very demoralizing though. Yes. Um, like that, that was, you know, in, in 2014, people started jumping on, they, they started five and one. Uh, they didn't beat anybody better than, I mean, like they beat South Carolina in the last second or in the last few minutes, they lost at what turned out to be a pretty mediocre Florida team. Um, and, and they kind of, but still they were five and one and, and they had some momentum going and then they actually played the good teams on their schedule and got rocked. Um, I saw that coming. I, I was not, I was trying to tap the brakes on Kentucky in 2014 Last season, I thought, especially once they won a couple close games, they beat South Carolina and they beat Missouri um, by like four points and eight points, respectively. Once they cleared those hurdles, even though they still figured out a way to lose to Florida, um, I thought they were bowling last year. 
And, um, you know, then just the week after Missouri, after we saw, I mean, Patrick Tolles has to be, he's one of those maddening quarterbacks where once you see him make a good throw, you're like, damn, he's going to be awesome. And then he doesn't make another good throw like that for four weeks. But, um, you know, the, the, the week after Missouri, they have to, they have a late comeback to beat Eastern Kentucky. And then they lose to an Auburn team that was barely even trying to win. If you remember like the punting on fourth and short and whatnot from that game. Then they get crushed by Mississippi State, crushed by Tennessee, crushed by Georgia. At a time when Georgia couldn't score, you know, 14 points, they scored 27. Uh, they lost to Vanderbilt, uh, and then they lost by two touchdowns to Louisville. That was a very demoralizing situation. And I don't know. I mean, they he's he signed another, you know, another class with a few guys who might be able to make a difference. But in terms of S and P plus, they fell from 74th to 104th on offense, and from 51st to 80th on defense. They all momentum gone. Their OC so, was the guy who took the fall for that, Shannon Dawson, who, if that name yeah. doesn't mean anything to you, he was a basically Holgerson's right-hand man at West Virginia. Right. Um, they they took a pretty interesting switch up. Two guys that I know pretty well, Eddie Grant and uh, Darren Henshaw from the offensive staff at Cincinnati are going to come yeah. over there. Um, ceiling's probably not high, but, yeah, I, I, I can't sit here and probably give you a solid reason if they're going to win eight games this year, but – no, it's, it's, it's very much a winnable on-paper situation. Again, not, not a high ceiling. I will say this. They have, they've invested a lot in facilities recently, and so, yeah, I, yes, I, yes. I would assume they expect some payoff pretty soon. Stoops has been, I'd say the end of like year one, year two, I mean, the coaching community expects Stoops to move on if he's a success there, and that got talked about probably, well, definitely, earlier than it should have. Um, but that tells you that, everyone's expectation was that he would come in, get to that seven, eight win range of consistency where they're again, the expectation for most Kentucky fans that I know is that they're in the bowl here in Nashville. That is a right. huge success to them. And maybe yeah, and, knock and off Rich one Brooks team. They could do that. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I mean, they basically, I think they didn't appreciate what they had in Brooks. It was a different time and they did not have as much focus on commonwealth stadium they did not have as much focus on the football facilities brooks did a lot with very little and no one seemed to notice he retired happily and then joker just really i mean he he wasn't the extension of consistency that they expected and so now i think they consider the rich rich brooks days and, and not just the one big year but all of them to be sort of a halcyon era uh, so Kevin Wall, K Wall Cuse on Twitter asks, which SEC head coach would it take for Harbaugh to show up in khakis to race against them in a marathon? Uh, it's actually the reverse. SEC coaches respond to Harbaugh. Harbaugh does not respond to SEC coaches. Very true. First. Uh, and that has to drive them absolutely crazy. Who's the who's the fastest SEC coach in khakis? I mean, Dan Mullen just ran the Boston Marathon. Right. I mean, he just set the bar pretty high. I mean, let's see. Miles isn't beating that. Right. Uh, Bielema is not beating that. Saban's not beating that. I bet Malzahn's uh, deceptively fast. I'd still take Mullen in that race. Hugh Freeze. I'm going to go. I mean, you got Mason, who's. I actually just saw him recently in very good, very good shape for a, for a football coach. Extremely good shape. Um, heesh. I'd say Mason, Mullen, Odom. Odom's. In oh good yeah, shape. yeah. Good call. Good call. The new guy. Um, Make the must new champ. <laughs> Just um, rage fuels the rage fuels the machine there. Um, I know it's a joke, but Will is like straight up the best bar fighting coach you could ask for. Oh yeah, but I don't know about breakaways. I don't know about straight line speed. Well, it's not. Well, we're talking about marathon though. 
Like, wait, you don't wait, have to have wait, speed, no, just, you just have to have tenacity. Wait, wait. The question was to race Harbaugh in a pair of khakis, right? Well, no, in khakis to race against them in a marathon. Oh, a marathon. Yeah. Oh, I thought we were talking about, like, idiots running 40s, like Rich Eisen on the NFL Network. Um, right. uh, yeah, I'm going to stick with my – I'm going to stick with what we have, Mullen and Mason. Yeah. Um, let's see, what are we at here? We're, we're at an hour. We can take a couple more, which – Let's see. I'll take a real one before going back to a, a not as real one. What's the ceiling for USF this year? And do they have a ch- any shot against Florida State in Tampa? Uh, I am an odds person, so technically, yes, they do have a shot. Um, I'm really curious about like the the, the half season wonders kind of throw me off a little bit. U- USF was dead in like the beginning of October last year, and he then suddenly fired. they weren't. He was fired. Yeah. And then suddenly they weren't. And so sometimes that's just like a confluence of weird chemistry and it happens and then it goes away. Or sometimes it's like rice where they, you know, I don't remember what year that was like 2010 or 11, where they started one in five or one in six, one six in a row to end the regular season, won the next year, won a conference USA title and kind of figured everything out from death's door. So Willie, um, Willie Taggart was not only fired, he was being talked about as if Jeff Brom would take a better job. Would he go back to Western? Right. And then he ended the season by interviewing for two vacant FBS jobs. Yeah, because, I mean, that, that's first a pretty all, dramatic turnaround. Yeah, first of all, that's kind of crazy because, you know, nothing like short-term success to, pre- uh, to predict the future. Uh, not. But, um, no, I, I, I mean, they've recruited better than anybody else in, oh, like over the last two or three years, uh, recruited better than anybody else in the American Conference. If that was really a legitimate, okay, now, we fig- now we've kind of gelled as a program, they should be one of the top two or three teams in the conference moving forward uh, because they ha- he has really recruited well. So um, if that's the case, you know, FSU should be too good, obviously. Their defense should be good. Um, it's always hard to – get too good a read on like an FSU because they always lose a lot of guys to the, to, uh, to the pros, especially. And then they always replace them with four stars. But um, no, well, I'll just say that the, you know, if, if last season was real and, and I, my gut says it probably was the, the leap last year, then they should, they should be a top two or three team moving forward. I think they're going to be very consistent this year. I think they will not be, I don't think they're a breakout team because I think the top, I still like Houston in that division. I still are in that conference. I still like maybe Cincinnati. I don't know, I have to look a little deeper at that. I mean, Cincinnati's another team. I don't know what to think about them after. Right. Um, I think there's a logical, pretty more than logical step down for Memphis. But I do think that there is a lot that's very appealing about Willie Taggart when you give him time. And so I do think this may be his last year in Tampa. Yeah, that's a good way to put it too, yeah. Um, Netty ball game. What are your opinions on fish? P H I S H fish. Mm, are you waiting for me on this one? <laughs> I was waiting to see if you had an immediate reaction. Um, I will say in college I had, I'm not going to say a jam band phase, but I, I, I went to a lot of concerts. Okay. Um, a lot of Dave Matthews concerts. I, I feel comfortable in admitting this, uh, even though I'm going to get fired now. Um, Never really, never, never got fish. No, just never. I, I mean, I don't care about songs being long, but I need, I need them to have a melody and a structure that you can play off of. Um, and I, I just, I never fish uh, to a, like all, but probably four or five widespread panic songs are the same way for me. 
Um, yeah, it, that's kind of the situation. Is that it's it's a crystal white castle thing. I think if you're from the bottom of the southern part of the United States out through Texas, it's widespread panic. And then yeah. I think pretty much everywhere else, it's fish and it's a lot of um, a lot of uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Interchangeable parts there. <laughs> um, I went through a extremely brief phase of jam bands when I was a freshman at Ole Miss. I think it was I think it was legally required that I do that yeah, at Ole Miss. I think so, yeah. Um, and especially since I'm from Georgia too. Yes, I think I own two Panic CDs. I've been to a fish show for about five minutes. I've been to one Panic concert when I was maybe 19. Um, it's never something that really stuck with me, but I I will say. That if I hear one or two particular Panic albums being played, it does definitely sort of take me back to that time because it because whether whether or not you liked it at a campus like like Oxford or Athens or Tuscaloosa, because so many other people did it, it, it just inadvertently becomes the soundtrack right. of your life for a while. So uh, no acrimony, no interest either. Um, it, it definitely has its place, and people who are into it, that's great. I mean, I, I do know they're, they're not friends of mine, but acquaintances, I guess, that are you know, on the close side of turning 40 who still try and make as many panic shows as they can and are gutted by the news that they're going to stop touring. So, pretty strange. Uh, by the way, Tall Boy is one of my favorite songs. So, okay. like, like that, that, they at least have that moment. Uh, I have a couple, I bought, a, I got a couple, I didn't buy them. I downloaded them. A couple of panic shows just for good uh, renditions of that song. So there is yeah. that, you know. Yeah, no, I, um, I think... I was drunk in Pensacola last summer and put on Till the Medicine Takes. So okay. it's, it's, yeah. it's inside of me buried way deep under a lot of <laughs> other musical preferences. And, and I definitely don't look or act like a traditional Southern SEC panic fan. But yeah, they're fine. They're, they're okay. And Fish, That's a good way to put it. I have nothing against Fish, but I don't, I don't like them either. They're just there. Yeah, they're both fine. Enjoy, you know, have at it. Enjoy life. Let's see. Um, <laughs> will there be... <laughs> This is a very PAPN question. Can anything as beautiful as the 1996 whack ever exist again? Yeah, I mean, probably. Um, I don't know about... Uh, <laughs> well, a 16-team conference can. I don't know if you're, you're ever going to get anything like the 96 version of the whack, which not only had 16 teams, but also had an awesome Wyoming team, um, an awesome BYU team, a good San Diego State team, a lot of really fun teams that year. Um, and TCU in the middle of all of it kind of sucked. I think the whack lives on in all of our hearts. And I think right. it's, it's called and the Mountain West. <laughs> especially in a year when, the, when Wyoming was good. It's always more fun when Wyoming's good. Damn right. That's the perfect way, to, I think, to, to end this, this show. So, uh, yeah, we, at some point we will get guests again, by the way. Um, oh, no, without a doubt. We have some plans coming up and some changes that are on the horizon. So um, these are very much, I think, uh, the elaborate sound checks for the for the coming season for the coming media season and summer previews uh we will have a ton more stuff so those of you who are listening to these sound checks we appreciate it share them <laughs> with your friends speaking of speaking of jam bands yeah the sound checks are the really that's when the heart that's where the hard that's, look that's for. the good music bro okay that's that's when that's when they're at their most spiritual that's right they, that's when they break out the good stuff that they, that you that only you appreciate all right on that note we're out all right